Okay, if you want to turn somewhere in your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We had our scripture reading this morning from Titus chapter 1. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, The church that I grew up in uh, had an auditorium kind of like this and a foyer in the back, uh, but it was different in that we had more offices and buildings and classrooms back behind the foyer, so there was two hallways. Uh, One hallway that led to the offices and the other hallway led to the nursery and the bathrooms. So that was a hallway I spent a lot of time on growing up, up and down that hall, going to the restroom. When I was a little kid, going to the nursery. Um, We called this wall, and and I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say this, this is what we called it, we called it the dead elder wall. Because on the wall were pictures of former elders <laughs> since 1906. The wall was completely covered with pictures, black and white pictures, men from way back in the day. The church was founded in 1906. So I didn't think anything of it. I thought that all churches probably had, it was that, my dad told me it was actually called the deceased elder wall. But I just thought that was normal. And when I got older, I would sit in the foyer and I would see as people would take their children to the nursery or go to the bathroom, and if they were visiting, they would look at this wall, and they all seemed a little creeped out by it. That's when I realized maybe this isn't that normal. So even though it was a little creepy, they wound up painting the wall, and they didn't put the pictures back up. I think back to that as I've thought about what an elder is and who should be an elder or who should be a shepherd. I think about that wall at the church that I grew up in, Because although maybe there was a little bit of the creepiness factor to what that wall looked like, it still told a story. It told a story of that church for now over a hundred years of where they are in the present is largely due to the fact of those who led in the past. Those men whose pictures were on that wall that I didn't know, those are the men who sat in meetings, who sat in hospital rooms, who shepherded people who made decisions about who's hired and who's fired and where to go and what time to do this, their decisions impacted the church. So what is an elder? Who should be an elder? Who needs to be an elder? Almost every society has had elders of some kind. It's not that uncommon. If you look back, cultural anthropologists would tell you that almost every society has had some sort of male figure or figures who are leaders, whether they're tribal chiefs or village headmen or just older men who lead, where younger people look up to these older people for their identity, for guidance, and for leadership. So it's pretty common to have older men who lead and guide. I was talking to a friend of mine over the holidays who you could consider unchurched. He didn't really grow up going to church, and he's still not really a churched person. So we had breakfast one morning, and he was asking me, he was curious about what life is like working for a church, and he asked me about our elders. So I started talking about elders, and then he laughed, and he thought, wait, you really actually have elders? I thought that was just some old ancient thing. I said, no, we we actually have elders. We have shepherds who lead our church and our American society. As we separate ourselves by generations, it's not that common anymore for younger people to look up to older people to find their identity. But the church has a unique opportunity to model that for our own culture. Uh, Where do we go in the Bible to discover who should be an elder? Typically, we go to one of two places. 
One of those was our scripture reading this morning. That's Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And in that, Paul talks about who needs to be an elder, the type of person, the quality of character. The other place is what we're about to read, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And again, Paul tells Timothy the quality of person, the characteristics of the person. That's normally where we go, and that's great. We should go there. That's important, and we are going to spend time there this morning, but that's not the first place that we should go. Traditionally, we just go straight to Paul, but I would argue, for anything, is that you start with Jesus, then go to Paul. There's a lot of good people out there that may be married only once and have children that are well-behaved and fit certain qualities, but may not love Jesus. So we start with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we're looking for men who needs to be an elder. It needs to be somebody who's following Christ and has been doing so for a while and can say, follow me as I follow Christ. In Acts chapter 1, after Judas was gone, this is before Pentecost, they felt it was important to have a 12th apostle. They felt it was important to replace Judas. So they came up with two men's names, who they could use, who could potentially be that 12th apostle. And the criteria for who would replace Judas was somebody who had been with them the whole time. Basically, somebody who had been with Jesus the whole time. Somebody who has been with Jesus for a while. So we start with Jesus. We start with the Gospels. We start with the Good Shepherd and how Jesus lived. And we find men who live like that and who act like that. And then we go to Paul. So now, we've already read Titus chapter 1. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. Some of you have NIV. On the PowerPoint, I don't always do this, but it's going to be in the NIV. But I'm going to read from the NRSV. Hopefully that's not too confusing. I just want to show you how the different English translations translate certain words. And it may change the meaning of how we view it. So let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 through 7. The saying is sure. Whoever aspires to be the office of a bishop desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and an apt teacher. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. So Paul says, these are the qualities of a person who needs to lead a church. Very similar list to Titus chapter 1, but not the exact same list. And I'm not going to read Titus 1 since we've already read it this morning, but I want to start by saying we don't view these lists like a checklist. They're not, Paul did not intend for this to be a checklist. Earlier in the week, as I was studying through this passage, I sat down and I wrote out everything from Titus 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. I did that 
because it was helpful for me. That's how I study. That's how I learn. But I don't do that so that I can go through and, and look at every person who I've known who's been an elder and say, here's where they didn't do this. Here's where they didn't do that. It's easy to hold somebody under a microscope and become very judgmental if we view this like a checklist. And I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. These are qualities. We usually use the word qualifications, but these are, these are qualities. This is a character sketch of the type of person that we're looking for. What Paul is doing in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 is he is using a common literary device of his time. You can look at historical documents and you see that other ancient Greek writers and philosophers also use kind of like a list or a character sketch to describe different people, different leaders. One ancient Greek philosopher wrote a character sketch of a good man, and this is what he wrote. He must be married. He must be without pride. He must be temperate. He must combine prudence of mind with excellence of outward behavior. It's a character sketch. It's not the exact character sketch that, that Paul gives us. And Paul gives us a longer character sketch, but it's a character sketch. So what Paul is doing is he is just using something that was common. Here's the type of person that you're looking for, the type of leader, and here's some characteristics. Here's some quality of the character of the person that you're looking for. Another ancient Greek writer wrote a character sketch of an ideal commander, and he wrote this. He must be prudent, self-controlled, Sober, frugal, enduring in toil, intelligent, without love of money, neither young nor old. If possible, the father of a family, able to speak competently and of good reputation. So again, you see, the character sketch idea was pretty common in Paul's time. Every church is going to have its own specific needs. When Paul writes to Titus, Titus is to establish elders in a town called Crete. Small town. So the type of person that you're looking for to lead that church is a specific type of person that can fit that church's needs and lead that church well. Timothy is in a much larger city called Ephesus. So although the characteristics of the person may be the same, somebody who, who might be a great elder, a great leader at a small town in Bogota, Texas, no offense if you're from Bogota, may not fit a town like Longview, may not be able to shepherd quite as well, may have the same qualities, but each church has its own specific needs. So you look at Titus 1, you look at 1 Timothy 3, and it reads a little differently. They're pretty similar, but there's some differences as well. So how we read the Bible is important. Some of us have been guilty of reading the Bible, reading these character sketches, to find ammo against someone. Like, how can we break this list down and, see, and hold somebody under that microscope and tell them where they're doing wrong? But how we read the Bible is important. We read this as a character sketch, and this is incredibly important, and we're going to break down some of the highlights of the type of person that Paul talks about in just a second. But one of the things that's so true, not just for elders, but for all of us, as the type of person we read about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 is the type of person that we should all strive to be like. These are Christ-like qualities. So anybody that's following Jesus should look at these character sketches and say, yeah, I want that to describe me as well. So who needs to be an elder? 
What type of person are we looking for as we begin this process here at Pine Tree of looking for some additional shepherds? Who needs to be an elder? Well, I've already mentioned it. We start with Jesus. Somebody that loves Jesus. You can't miss that point. Somebody who loves the life and the teachings of Jesus. We looked at Ezekiel 34 last week. Somebody that loves the strayed sheep, the lost sheep, just like Jesus would. Somebody who loves Jesus and reflects the character of Jesus. Start there. Who needs to be an elder? What type of person needs to be an elder? Somebody with desire. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3, 1, that if you aspire to be an elder or a bishop or an overseer, whatever translation you're looking at, you desire a noble task. Desire is an important word. And I've seen, I've seen desire used on two different extremes. I once knew a man who was a good guy, fit most of these qualities in this character sketch that Paul gives, and he had the desire to become an elder, but he was very open about the fact that the reason that he wanted to be an elder is because he was going to make some changes. I want to make the changes that I want to make, so vote for me. You know, he's campaigning for himself to become an elder, but his desire to be an elder was to get what he wanted. So that's not the desire that I think Paul is talking about here. That's not the type of desire we need in an elder. I've seen the other side. I've seen men who would have been great shepherds, great leaders, had all the qualities that you see in Paul's character sketch. But they look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 and they say, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the desire to do it. And you know what? That makes sense. If you don't want to be an elder, then you may not make a great elder. But I would just caution, I would just say this. You may say, I don't have the desire, and that's an easy way out of taking on that responsibility. Not that everybody takes the easy way out, but it could be. Just consider this, be open to this. If you have enough people coming up to you saying, I view you as a spiritually mature person who I want to shepherd this church, that could be God calling you into this role. You may not have the desire yet, but maybe God will give you the desire. It's a noble task. Many years ago, I was at a church, and they were having a missions Sunday, and they, support, they supported a local uh, homeless ministry. So the guy who was the head of the mission was speaking that Sunday, and towards the end of his lesson, he gave a great presentation. He said, we've been here for 10 years, and we don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. We're here to see this thing through. And that stuck out to me. He wasn't saying we're going to retire here, we're going to be here forever. He's just saying we have no plans of leaving this mission. We plan on being here and seeing this thing through because we care about the ministry. And that's somebody who desires what's best for the ministry. Somebody who desires what's best for our church here at Pine Tree. Just like we looked at last week in Ezekiel 34, somebody who is present, who is with us, for us, an advocate and ahead of us, leading us into kingdom realities. Somebody who desires to be an elder, a shepherd, desires a noble task. Who needs to be an elder? Somebody who's respected. Paul said somebody who is respectable and has a good reputation with outsiders. Somebody that you can respect. Somebody that you can trust. Somebody that is a good person that you just can't help but respect, but not just here at church, but somebody that you would respect 
and the community. We're going to talk in just a moment about the integrity of a person, but somebody that's respected, not just here, but respected in the community and knows what's going on in the outside world for probably a couple of reasons. One, to protect the church from what could harm the church, but also to know what needs are out there in the community. Somebody who's respected. Who needs to be an elder? Somebody who manages their family well. This is always kind of a sticky point when we're looking at additional elders or shepherds. It depends on what translation you're reading, but he talks about your family, your wife, and your children. The wife and the children of a potential elder or shepherd. Somebody who's faithful to their wife. Or some translations say somebody who is the husband of one wife. Somebody who has children who believe. Now, if we're viewing Paul's character sketch like a checklist, like a legalistic document, I, I have had this conversation with people before who say, it says children, plural. So if you only have one kid, that doesn't count. You have to have at least two or more so you can say children. And then I say, you know what? You're just viewing this like a legalistic document. The point is, Paul said he's looking for somebody who's faithful to his wife, married once, and has children who believe. Now, this doesn't mean the person's going to have a perfect family or perfect children. In fact, I think if somebody has perfect children, whatever that would look like, probably wouldn't be a great elder because they haven't experienced what it's like to deal with difficult people. (laughs) But you get experience dealing with children and raising them, then you know how to deal with people in a church. Somebody who can manage their family well. And the kingdom realities, to believing people over the long haul, produced stable, believing families, because that is going to be a good indicator of how they lead a church. How do they handle conflict and tension within their family? When there's big decisions that need to be made or life transitions happen, how do they lead their family? And that's a good indicator of how they would lead a church. Who needs to be an elder? Somebody who's experienced with the Word of God. If you're looking at the character sketch of a deacon, this is where the character sketch of an elder looks a little different. He says an elder needs to be able to teach, not a recent convert, has a firm grasp on the word, can preach sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose the gospel. So we're looking for men who know the word of God, who are experienced with God's word. Now, Again, if you're viewing this like a legalistic document, you can say, well, does he teach at least one quarter out of the year? Maybe that's kind of how we view it. But keep in mind, when Paul writes this character sketch, there's no such thing as Sunday school at the time. So he's not talking about teaching certain curriculum and certain Bible classes. He's talking about somebody who knows the gospel, who's experienced with the Word of God, and can teach it throughout their lives, who can connect the word, with what's going on in the situation in the church and the lives of individuals. Somebody who is well experienced with the word of God. Who needs to be an elder, somebody who's consistent. Uh, Paul says they need to be above reproach or blameless. It doesn't say perfect, but this is a person of integrity, a person who is consistent in their character here at church, at home, at work, in the community, wherever they're at, somebody who is consistent in who they are and how they live. Who needs to be an elder? Somebody who has self-control. 
Somebody who can practice self-control in a few different areas. Somebody who can practice self-control in their temper and the way they respond to people who are angry. He says that they don't need to be quick-tempered, not violent, but gentle, not arrogant, not quarrelsome. It's inevitable that to work with people, you're going to find people who are upset, who don't like a decision that was made, or you're going to have to be right in the middle of some sort of conflict. So how do you respond? Well, you respond, we're looking for people who would respond to tension and conflict the way that Jesus would. People who can control their temper, who are not going to be quick to yell or shout. Gentle. Somebody who knows how to handle and absorb. A shepherd, I've heard this said, usually will have bite marks on them. But most of the time, the bite marks don't come from wolves. They come from sheep. So a shepherd knows how to handle conflict in the way of Jesus. And not quick-tempered. Self-controlled with that. Self-controlled with his money. Paul said it doesn't need to be somebody who's a lover of money or greedy for gain. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. So we're looking for somebody who's self-controlled. And they're not controlled by their money, but they control their money. They're not a lover of money. Self-control with their appetites. He mentions alcohol. And he says, somebody who's not addicted to wine. Somebody who's not addicted to this. So we're looking for somebody who can practice self-control with their appetites, which, by the way, if you see that line or hear me say that and something kind of jolts you a little bit, you may be thinking, I'm far from being an elder, but, but that's me. I have an addiction. I'm addicted to whatever it may be. This is just a side note. If that's you this morning... This is a church that will welcome you and love you, but wants to help you. So if you need help, if you are struggling with some sort of addiction, seek somebody. We'll be glad to help you. But we're looking for men who who are self-controlled with their appetites, men who are self-controlled with their discipline or proactive in self-management, who seek God on a daily basis and who can just practice self-control in their daily lives. Who needs to be an elder? Well, there is kind of a summary of Paul's summary. Somebody who loves Jesus, who has a desire to be one, who's respected, who's experienced with the Word of God, who manages his family well, consistent in his own character and self-control. As I read through this, I've read through this every day this week, and I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just, this is my job, so I've got to be familiar with what I'm preaching on, but I read it every day this week, and I thought two things. One, this seems hard. It seems like a lot to swallow. Who can live like this? And then I realized people who live like this are people who have walked the same direction for a long time. That's why we call them elders. People who have wisdom, who have followed Jesus, followed in that direction for a long time. And through time, the Holy Spirit has cultivated these characteristics within the person. And that's who we're looking for. I know this lifts... Sounds difficult, but I want this list to describe me as well. I think as all Christ followers, we need to strive to live like this. Now, there's one thing, one other quality or characteristic that I'm going to pop up here that I think is important. And Paul doesn't say it this way. Paul mentions that the person should be hospitable. And the Greek word for hospitable doesn't mean that you host a connect group, which that's a great thing. It doesn't mean you have people in your home, which that is a great thing. Hospitable literally means a friend of strangers. 
We're looking for people who not only love Jesus and possess these qualities, but we're looking for somebody who loves people. You have to be able to just have a love for people and probably somebody who can pray on a regular basis for God to give them a supernatural love for their flock. Somebody who loves people, not just fun people who are fun to be around, but difficult people because you have to deal with them. We see modeled in Jesus and his life and his teachings how much he loved people. People of all kinds, his disciples, who were incredibly difficult to train and to deal with. Jesus loved people who were outsiders. Jesus loved people who the world didn't love. Jesus loved people who opposed him. Jesus loved people, and we're looking for somebody who loves people. Who needs to be an elder? Probably somebody who could say what Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Max Licato is a pretty well-known Christian author. In one of his hundreds of books, he tells a story about a time where he was at a dinner, and sitting at his table was this man from Germany who didn't speak great English, And they were having a conversation, trying to make some small talk, so he asked the guy, what do you do for a living? And the man very simply said, I'm the keeper of the forest. So he said, what does the keeper of the forest do? What does that mean? And he said, I harvest the trees that my father planted, and I plant trees that my sons will harvest, and I'm always trying to plant more than I harvest. And that was the end of their conversation. And I read that, and I thought, That's a big picture. That's a big glimpse of what church leadership is all about. What those who are spiritually mature, who take on the role to shepherd and to be an elder of a church, are those who take on the work of those who have come before them and carry it out for those who will come after them. We're part of a much bigger picture. And right now in our life as a church, we're looking for men who we can say, you follow Christ And I want to follow your example. But nobody's going to be perfect in doing that. But we're looking for the person that that shows these characteristics that that Paul talks about in in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Nobody's going to be perfect. But good elders, good shepherds know how to point you to a perfect Christ. I mentioned last week this idea of a shepherd, this metaphor of shepherding is used over 500 times in Scripture, both in Old and New Testament. Good shepherds know how to point people to the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the reason Jesus says that I am the good shepherd is because I lay down my life for the sheep. So this morning, as we leave you with this with this challenge as you begin praying. I asked you last week to pray every day for God to raise up the right shepherds to add on to the current shepherds that we have. I, I challenge you to continue that prayer. But we do have six shepherds right now who are going to be around this building as we sing a few more songs. One of them will be up front with me. If you need to respond this morning, if you need prayers, if you want to know who the good shepherd is, who Jesus is, we can point you in that direction. Take some time this morning to grab a shepherd or to come up front if you need to. Let's stand and let's continue to sing.